Alright guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Tooth Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 4th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, we are going to take an early look at the 2019-20 season in SEC basketball. Put out on Twitter that, that I was kind of putting this together and I told you guys it was going to be kind of a a power rankings type uh, of episode and it's going to be, but... As you know, and for those of you who listen to the podcast uh, many times before, read the website, it's so hard to, to kind of project 1 through 14 straight up in June, five months before the season starts. Um, so what I like to do is kind of group teams together to give you sort of a better idea of maybe what we know, what we don't know about certain teams. And so we're going to run through some of these tiers, and yes, it'll give you a pretty good idea of where... Uh, I kind of have teams slotted right now in terms of that 1 through 14 and and sort of just looking at some of these teams now that we know the rosters. And that's always the big thing um, is that with the the early entrance and all that into the NBA draft, we now know who's coming back, who's not coming back. Uh, We know for the most part what the freshman classes are going to look like. And we also have a pretty good idea transfer-wise uh, of who is, is where, and yes, there, there are still some guys out there uh, that SEC teams could be very interested in, and you could still see uh, another addition or two on some of these rosters uh, before we go uh, you know, into kind of next season. And so it, it's one of those deals where, look, I say this all the time, people always want early top 25s, and they want power rankings, um, but don't put so much stock into them. And, you know, you see it all the time on social media, and, and it's fun. I mean, that's what, you know, it, it's June. In college basketball, there's just not much going on. So you have to find ways to be creative. Um, you have to find ways to, to keep the conversation going, and that's when we look at these early top 25s, the early power rankings. That's a fun way to do it. Um, but there's just so many moving parts on these rosters, and there's so many things you don't know uh, in terms of how chemistry is going to come together, uh, what exactly, you know, new coaches at some of these different spots, what they're working on, how they're quickly they're going to be able to improve things. Uh, and so it, it's it's difficult to do to know exactly. And so I always say that, yes, we put together power rankings. So many people do it um, early top 25s. But the thing is, none of us have any clue exactly how everything is going to unfold Um, so you can only look at it on paper and kind of give yourself an opportunity to go through these rosters and feel like if everything goes according to plan how things are going to play out so that's what we're going to do and before we do that I would suggest uh, I've tweeted out retweeted it the other day uh, Matt Harris over Rock Him Nation we all we've had Sam Snelling on I've gone on the podcast with Sam and Matt before um, they do a really good job over there, not just for Missouri, but they do a great job with the SEC. And he put together, uh, Matt did, a really in-depth sort of uh, primer on each roster in the SEC, who's coming back, uh, who's not coming back, and kind of the projections from a number standpoint and all that type of stuff. So find that on my Twitter at the Blake Level. I retweeted that, or you can just go over to rockhimnation.com. Uh, it's a really good guide, and I've always said this, you know, ever since I've started the website. Those guys do such a great job, uh, and I would highly recommend uh, reading them, not just if you're a Missouri fan, because if you are, there's no doubt you already 
read the stuff they do, but even if you're an SEC fan, I, I would follow those guys on Twitter. Make sure uh, you're keeping up with what they do just from a, a conference standpoint because uh, they, they do a tremendous job. So go read that because he does, uh, in written form, uh, give you a really good uh, sort of look at the SEC landscape. But let's go ahead dive into uh, kind of how I see things at this time in SEC basketball here in early June. Let's start at the top. Uh, where for me, at this point, I think there are two teams that I would put ahead of everyone else a a little bit, and that is Kentucky, and that would be Florida. Kentucky's Kentucky. Um, I don't think it's any surprise for anyone to to sit here and hear me talking about Kentucky at the top of the SEC. It is what it is every single season. Uh, As long as John Calipari is there, it's going to continue to sort of be the same theme every single year. They may not look perfect in early December. Uh, They may not look great uh, throughout November, but they're so talented and they've got such a a talented roster once again that they're going to find a way to to hit their stride at some point in SEC play, maybe earlier than that. Um, And when March rolls around, you're not going to want to play Kentucky. It's the same thing, and it's nothing that's going to change. That's the way it is. You know, they got a big boost. Yes, they lost some guys uh, to the draft. They lost Kelvin Johnson. They lost Tyler Hero. They lost P.J. Washington, um, and on and on and on. But they get guys back. E.J. Montgomery's back. Nick Richards is back. Uh, you've got the backcourt. Ashton Hagens is there. You bring in the, the recruiting class. You've got Tyrese Maxey. You've got Khalil Whitney. You just go down the list. Kentucky's going to be very talented. They're going to be the most talented team from top to bottom in the SEC. That is no secret. Um, And so you look at them, certainly it makes sense to put them uh, at the top uh, for me. You know, if if you ask me today, Kentucky's number one. Uh, And then we go to the team I said that that I would probably group pretty close to them. And, you know, it, it may be one of those teams that, Surprised some people uh, based on last season. Uh, you know, they, they did advance to the second round of the NCAA tournament, but th- they didn't exactly have uh, a, a consistent year. I mean, they, they had their ups and downs. and um, But what we saw was a team that had a young nucleus that we know is going to keep getting better and better. And when you look at the Gators – You've got that freshman class now that's going to be sophomores with Andrew Nimhard, uh, with Noah Locke, with Keontae Johnson, those guys leading the way. But you're bringing in a group now that's going to be very, very good right off the bat, and they're going to be able to contribute right off the bat like those guys did last year uh, when we talk about Scotty Lewis, Trey Mann, um, all these different guys that they're bringing into this class to where, I mean, it's a, it's a top 10 recruiting class. You bring back several key pieces. Andrew Nimhard, for me, is going to have a really good chance, I think, to to be a first-team All-SEC type of player next season, uh, just in terms of his development from freshman year to sophomore year. Um, it's just you've got such an excellent sophomore group. The freshman group, like we said, is going to be really good. There is a question mark, though, with Florida. And that's going to be their front court. And that's something we've talked about in terms of just trying to get consistent production from their front court on both sides of the court, not just on offense, but on defense. They've got to re- replace someone like Kivarius Hayes, who was such an excellent shot blocker. He could affect shots in the paint. Now you've got to replace that. 
So how do you do that? And I think that's the question that, that Mike White and his staff are going to have to answer. Uh, if Florida's going to be a team where I'm looking at them now, here in early June, feel like they can be a team that gets to that second weekend of the NCAA tournament and beyond, uh, maybe, and is, you know, fighting for an SEC regular season title and has a chance uh, to have a really special season. And that's what we say. With all these different teams, even with Kentucky, we mentioned it, all these teams have weaknesses in terms of you can look at it on paper and say, okay, I can identify that as a potential weakness for this specific team. With Florida, it's the front court, and it's the fact that they are going to be really young. We, yeah, I mean, I love the sophomores. I love the freshmen, but they're still sophomores and freshmen. And so you, you've got to look at it that way, too, and say you know that they have a lot of potential. They've got to meet that potential. They've got to have that chemistry. If Florida's able to do that, uh, I truly think Florida, by the end of the season, uh, could be a team that, that's consistently right there in the top 15, maybe the top 10 if we're talking about you know best-case scenario for the Gators uh, and really you know have a chance to, to compete for an SEC title. I think they can be that good. Their defense is going to be there. If they have that offensive consistency, if they can find some people in the front court to really step up, uh, I think it's going to be a very fun year uh, if you're a Florida fan. And, and look, to tie in this too with these two teams, Kerry Blackshear Jr., um, the Virginia Tech transfer, he's still out there. And so for most people, you know, Florida Kentucky's probably getting this guy. And so you add him to the mix for either one of those rosters, that immediately – uh, gives them a huge boost. And so that's what we say. If he were to choose Florida, let's say, I mean, that to me takes Florida to another level and really gives them a chance to say, we're not going into the season as a team that could be an SEC title contender. We're going into the season thinking we have a really good chance to win the SEC. And and that's where I think you look at it if you're the Gators and feel pretty confident uh, if you're able to get someone uh, like that. So uh, I feel like they're a little bit in front of the next two teams, uh, which I'd put maybe into a, a tier of their own. But, but really, I think you, I'm going to talk about these next two teams, but there's two other teams behind them. Maybe you could group those four together but, because I think there's a lot of similarities, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about those. But the next two teams um, I would put would be Auburn and LSU. And I think they're kind of similar scenarios, but they're not exactly the same. Um, With Auburn, and I've seen a lot of people in terms of reactions, and that's when we go back to the social media thing. There's been lots of reactions to to some people uh, when you look at the national guys. Some people have Auburn maybe in the top 15. Um, Some don't even have them in the top 25. And I I think you're going to see a lot more of that because it's easy – to look at Auburn and say, okay, you've got key contributors coming back from a team that made the Final Four. You've got Samir Dowdy. You've got Javon McCormick. Um, you've got Anthony McLemore, Austin Wiley, all these different guys who played key roles for, for Auburn last season and, and now will step into expanded roles. But we also can't kid ourselves um, and say that replacing Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Chumo Kiki, Horace Spencer, uh, Malik Dunbar – all those different guys, it's just going to be an easy task. It's not going to. And this is going to be a common theme with some of the other teams in the SEC. Replacing guys who have the ball in their hands as much as Jared Harper did, uh, and even Bryce Brown, guys who had the ball in their hands so much 
um, during the course of a game, during the course of a season, and really over the past several years. It's a different dynamic when you take all that sort of responsibility and all that uh, leadership, all that production, and now you have to transfer that over uh, to to guys who played key roles, but they weren't those main roles that they're now going to have to play. And that's something we talk about with any team around the country, is seeing how guys step into expanded roles. That is a fascinating part of going into every single season. And so I think that's where we look at it, and it's not just production. It's the intangibles. What Jared Harper and Bryce Bryce Brown brought to that backcourt. There were so many different intangibles, like we said, in terms of a leadership role, just the way they played together, a chemistry that was probably unlike any other guard chemistry in the country, to be honest, in terms of just the way they played in their style of play. Um, you have to have that to, to succeed, and they had it. And Chumo Kiki, the versatility that he brought, um, the intangibles that Horace Spencer brought on defense. It's just there's lots of different parts of this Auburn roster that we don't necessarily um, exactly know how that aspect of it is going to be replaced. And so I think it's understandable when you look around at some of these early top 25s and you see people – uh, kind of look and feel like maybe we don't exactly know with Auburn because there is a lot of product, production that has to be replaced. However, I will say this. Auburn's got a great recruiting class coming in. They do have the guys coming back, what we just mentioned, um, that that played those roles in a on a Final Four team. Uh, and I also think there's this part of it too. You have to give Bruce Pearl the benefit of the doubt at this point because – since he's arrived at Auburn, I think one of the most underrated aspects of his coaching style and really his entire staff in terms of how they built that program, and I've said this to many people, I do not think Bruce Pearl has gotten enough credit for just developing players. And it it's so, you know, yeah, you can look around and see the guys who recruit well. They can get a five-star anytime they want them. They can get a high four-star anytime they want them and really at this point when you're looking at Auburn the momentum they built from their success on the recruiting trail is they're now getting to that point to where they're able to get these players that they're able to go in uh, and get some of the best players you know in some of the biggest recruiting hotbeds in the country you know it's not just bringing them in though it's you have to keep letting them get better and you have to keep uh, kind of developing them or else you know you you just get a, a guy that comes in and yes, he's really good as soon as he comes in, but if he doesn't get any better, it doesn't really matter. And so that's where they have done such an excellent job of they get these guys who are really, really good when they come in as freshmen, and they make them so much better. And that's what we've seen with Harper, with Brown, all these guys really that have come through there. You go up and down the roster the past several years, it just seems like for the most part, pretty much everyone is getting better. And that's where, you know, you bring these guys now that have to step into these bigger roles. Well, you feel so confident at the staff's ability to get these guys better that, you know, it's hard to doubt Auburn. Even with all the stuff that they lost, you still feel like they're going to find a way uh, to be right up there. And so that's why I would put them uh, with the other team, and that's LSU. Um, I think, like I said, it's sort of a, a similar scenario in that, LSU loses a guy in Tremont Waters who had the ball in his hands all the time. And it's like you have that playmaker. You know, Jared Harper was the playmaker for Auburn. Tremont Waters 
was the playmaker for LSU. And so you're replacing playmaker point guards with guys who you feel like can step up, and maybe it's a committee type of thing. But the good thing with LSU is you get guys back from the early interest that you weren't exactly sure whether they're going to come back or not. But now that they do get Javante Smart back, they do get Skylar Mays, Emmett Williams, uh, Darius Days is back. I know there's probably someone else off the top of my head. I'm forgetting of that group. Um, but you get all these guys back, and their roles are now growing even more too. And they played, you know, a big part of a SEC regular season title team. And, and yes, we can look at all the different stuff that, that happened off the floor last year with LSU. But if you look at the roster just in terms of what now, you know, maybe they feel like they're past all that to where, okay, we're focusing on next season. If you just look at the roster, I mean, I don't think there's any reason LSU can't be uh, an NCAA tournament team next season. Is an SEC regular season title uh, realistic? Maybe, maybe not, because I think it's probably going to be more about uh, just how talented some of these other teams, like Kentucky, like Florida, like we've said, um, you know, maybe it's a lot tougher because you don't have Waters and you don't have Nas Reed um, and different guys like that. So you add Trent and Watford to the mix too. And it just, I mean, LSU, they're still going to be pretty good. And, you know, you'll see them probably in and out of top 25s uh, in the preseason. Uh, and that's probably about right because you could see uh, them being really, really good again. And, and like we said, it's really just a matter of, uh, seeing how they're able to to replace you know the playmaking ability of Waters and, and kind of run everything you know through through someone else now on offense, uh, whereas he was just such a, a someone that that everything ran through, and now you have to uh, kind of find your new guy to do that. And and they feel like you know they've got another talented roster, and so uh, I do think LSU's kind of right there in that next tier at least right now. So LSU's got a lot of talent, and um, th- they may be able. Uh, to really kind of stay on track there and have a good chance uh, to have another really successful season. So I I put those two teams uh, right there, like I said, a little bit behind Kentucky and Florida. Um, And that's, you know, we'd be shocked if Auburn LSU were to kind of, you know, be a team that that competes for an SEC title. Absolutely not. I just think they're they're both going to be really talented. It's just a matter of looking at at how they uh, replace some of the guys that they lost uh, from last season. The next two teams that I would put, and again, it's I think we used to do this where I, I think it maybe had like three tiers where you go back to last season, maybe the year before. I feel like this year it's a little more, it's kind of harder to project in terms of knowing exactly what we're going to get from some of those teams because there are so many different teams that have lost guys to the NBA draft, and, and there are a lot of teams that are going to rely on youth. And that's where I think you look at it and feel like we don't exactly know um, how things are going to play out this early on. But looking at the next tier, and there is two teams, I think, in sort of this next group for me, um, because I think there, there are two teams that we feel like we know they're going to be pretty good, but there are also some things that, that you kind of wonder about and there are some questions that, that still need to be answered um, I think w- with these two teams in particular because I could see these two um, not necessarily being sleeper teams because I, I think they're going to get um, a lot of sort of credit going into the season I think people are going to be talking about these two teams um, but but maybe they have a chance if everything comes together to exceed you know those expectations a little bit and be 
maybe up even higher than, than most people sort of think. And we'll start with Tennessee in this group. Um, and for me, it's pretty simple. And I think it's going to be pretty simple for anyone that looks at Tennessee uh, and compares this year's Tennessee team to last year's Tennessee team. Placing the toughness, the just uh, intangibles, the chemistry, those different things, replacing that um, in terms of Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, Jordan Bone, uh, Kyle Alexander's gone too. I think that's going to be a, a bigger challenge maybe than, than some people are looking at, and I've seen Tennessee ranked um, in the top 20, I think, in a lot of these, maybe top 25. And like I said, there's going to be people that don't have them in there, period. For me, it would probably be hard to initially put Tennessee in the top 25, um, and I have not made my top 25. But I think when you look at it, I think here, here's the issue you have is – you know you're going to get your backcourt nucleus back. You've got guys who have been a big piece of that puzzle, and they've proven they can step up, you know, be, be two different guys, I think, in Lamonte Turner, Jordan Bowden, that can lead Tennessee in scoring. That They've done that several times, whereas you look at the past couple of years, yes, for the majority of the past few years where Tennessee has had this success, it's either been Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, or Jordan Bone that has led them in scoring. But there have been games where you've seen Lamonte Turner, Jordan Bowden, be able to kind of take that next step from a scoring standpoint um, and and be able to deliver. Now the problem is you don't have teams focusing on those other three guys that you've lost. So now people know you're going to be two players that that are really relied upon uh, to increase not just your scoring load, but also you know do a lot of different things on both sides of the court and so you have a lot more attention if you're those two guys in particular and now you add a recruiting class that comes in that you know is a pretty good recruiting class with Josiah James is in there Uh, he's someone they pretty much know and feel like he's going to be able to come in be a major contributor right away and he's going to have to be if Tennessee wants to be a team um, that that's going to be able to stay kind of on that same level. Are they going to be the number one team in the country next season? Probably not. Um, whereas, you know, they, they had the run they had this past year. But I still think they have an opportunity to to be an NCAA tournament team um, and, and be able to continue to have success under Rick Barnes. However, I do think it's a situation where there may be sort of some ups and downs for this particular you know Tennessee team and I think it's just going to be a matter of having different guys feeling each other out um, and kind of picking up and you know really and this is not a knock on anyone on the roster but there there's you know there's going to be times where people are looking around where is Grant Williams where is Admiral Schofield where is Jordan Bone because you're just you're so used to having that nucleus together and that's what's going to make this offseason so important for Tennessee is just getting everyone on the same page, building that chemistry, you know, in practices and summer workouts, that's going to be very, very important for, for this team. And, you know, Rick Barnes is a, a veteran coach. He understands that. And he knows, you know, he's going to have to piece together these these different uh, guys that, that, you know, you have the newcomers, you have the guys that are coming back uh, that have had the, you know, unprecedented success to the past few years. So at least they have that. They have the experience. Uh, with guys who have sort of been through this process, but we also say it, it's you know it's just not easy to replace the the back-to-back SEC Player of the Year in Grant Williams. 
um, the toughness that Admiral Schofield, and then one of the most, uh, you know, guys who, who really made one of the biggest jumps in recent years in Jordan Bone. And so that, that's a lot to replace. And, you know, it's I think it's fair to have some concerns about the Vols going into the season. But you put Tennessee in this group because, you know, you, you see the potential there, but you also see a lot of things uh, that they have to sort of make up for with the guys who went to the NBA draft. The other team I would put in this mix would be Alabama. And I think Alabama's in sort of a unique situation where you bring in Nate Oates, you're going to play a completely different style. And, and that, to me, is the most fascinating part of this entire thing. It's so sort of easy for people to look back at Alabama last year and say, well, they're basically bringing back the same roster that doesn't have Dante Hall, that doesn't have Riley Norris, that doesn't have Tevin Mack, um, and they lost in the first round of the NIT to Norfolk State. So how can you possibly expect them uh, to be good this year? Well, here's what I would say to that. Sometimes it really is uh, about a style of play. Sometimes it's about a system, and it's about fit. And maybe there are going to be things in NATO's system, which, as many people know at this point, Alabama is going to play fast. Alabama's talked about playing fast, you know, in, in recent years under Avery Johnson. They started to play at a higher tempo, but this is not going to just be, uh, you know, upping it a little bit here and there. This is going to be uh, pretty much playing at a completely different pace that tempo-wise – you look at the numbers where Buffalo the past several years under Nate Oates um, has been one of the quickest teams in the country in terms of average offensive possession length, um, and it's one of those things where they're going to get up and down the court, uh, and it's going to be much different than, than maybe Alabama's been used to, whereas, I mean, look, Alabama's had a lot of offensive problems in recent years, and anyone that's watched the team will tell you that. Their offensive consistency has not been very good. Um, but maybe in a new system, guys like Kyra Lewis, John Petty are going to be able to thrive. Maybe this is what they need to sort of take that next step in their individual development, uh, and be even better. And you feel like this is a roster where you've got some good depth to work with. And Nate Oates, I think you look at it going into his first season, he does have some depth to work with it. And really the backcourt is the most important part. Uh, of this particular style of play you've got to have guards that are going to be able to to get the ball down the court and they're going to be able to get guys in position for for good shots and to find open shots that's a big part of this offensive system if there's an open shot you would much rather take an open shot than than you would uh, pass it up and work the ball around for 15 seconds to try to find a bad shot and and so you kind of look at it from that respect You've got some good offensive scores on. You've got some playmakers. I mean, we know what Kyra Lewis can do. We know what John Petty can do scoring-wise uh, when when he gets that opportunity. And so if he he's able to be more consistent, um, you add those guys. You bring in Beetle Bolden from West Virginia, who has the experience now. You, you add him to the mix with the experience. And now there is sort of an X factor in all of this. There, there's a wild card in play uh, that we don't really know about just yet. And this would really impact... I think, you know, Alabama's outlook going into next season, that's Javon Quinterly, the Villanova transfer who is now, you know, signed with Alabama. And apparently from reports, they're planning on, you know, trying to get a waiver for him. And the first thing, as soon as a lot of people saw that, they said, well, how in the world 
are they going to get him a waiver? It's not a situation. He's not a grad transfer. Um, he played in a lot of games last year for Villanova. So how would he possibly get a waiver? Well, my response to that would be, have you seen uh, the people that have gotten waivers in, in college athletics um, in recent years? Because at this point, I'm not sure anyone knows exactly what the criteria is uh, from the NCAA when it comes to getting a waiver approved. And so would I be shocked if Javon Quinterly got a waiver to play next season at Alabama? I would not, because I don't think anyone can definitively say one way or the other whether it is going to happen or whether it's not going to happen, because I don't think the NCAA has any consistency whatsoever when it comes to making decisions on whether a kid should have to sit out or not. And we've seen it in college football. Uh, we've seen it in other places as well, other different sports. I have no idea what the criteria is. I don't know if the NCAA has any idea what the criteria is anymore. So who knows? And I think it's such a fascinating part because if he were to get eligible to play next season, you are talking about a former five-star recruit um, that is someone, yes, Kyra Lewis is going to be the main driving force of this team as a point guard. But you bring in Quinterly, and he's someone that the potential's there. And you, you you see this all the time, too, and I think this is something where it's so easy to kind of look at a kid and how, let's say, he came in with all the high expectations at Villanova. Um, I think everyone just expected him to step in right away and, you know, I guess contribute 15, 20 points a game. Uh, and just be this unbelievable superstar. Well, that didn't happen. It was clear from the very beginning that it was not a good fit. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I think there's a lot of people that look at him and say, well, you know, he's a complete bust. He's never going to be a good player. If you watch this kid coming into college, the skills, the talents are all there. And I think it's a matter of sometimes it is about the fit. And Villanova played at one of the slowest paces of any team in the country. And that's not a knock on Villanova. That's their style. That's how they've won national championships in recent years is, you know, they have a methodical type of approach on offense to where they do it their way. Jay Wright does it his way, and it works. But sometimes even the guys who are the best top recruits in the country, you don't always fit into every single style of play. And so I think it's a situation where now you bring him over where quickness is one of his biggest assets. You bring him into an offense where quickness is everything, um, talking about pushing the pace, trying to get good shots, um, and really, you know, someone who can score the ball. I think there is a really good chance he's going to kind of be that player that everyone thought he was going to be uh, in this particular system. If that is this year, if that is, the you know, next year, Either way, he's a huge addition for their for their roster. He's a huge addition uh, for the for the future, and that's what Nate Oates is doing so far. Is he's putting those building blocks in place to where Alabama's future looks really good, and they do have a chance uh, to to have a really good backcourt this season. Even if he doesn't get, get, get eligible, even if Quinterly doesn't play this season, they've still got a chance to have a really good backcourt. Um, if they can get the development in the front court, guys like Alex Reese, Galen Smith. If those guys can take another step forward, um, I think Alabama could could be sneaky good, and they could be a team um, that that can move up a few spots. You know, maybe be in, in that talk when we say maybe Alabama's that fourth best team, that third best team in the SEC. 
Yes, it's going to take a lot of things going right. Yes, it's going to take uh, everyone adapting to the system really quickly. But I think that they have that chance because when you talk about new coaches too, when you bring in a new coach, sometimes it's just that initial, um, I don't know what the word is for it, but it's sort of that initial enthusiasm that that's really contagious. And you're able to get started because it is something completely different you're you're kind of taking everything in and you're kind of just going um, on that adrenaline of something new. And I think there's a good chance that, that knowing Nate Oates is someone that just the way he coaches and the way kind of he's been able to, to do what he did at Buffalo and now have a roster where you've got some pieces that really fit what he wanted he wants to do right away, I think there's a chance for Alabama to have a lot of success this season. Um, and so that's why I would put them kind of in that that next group to where I could see them, you know, moving up and being a team that, that's right there, maybe in that second tier behind, you know, one or two in SEC. But um, you could also see a thing where may, maybe there there are some struggles to, to to adapting to that system early on, and maybe it's a situation where you know we're going back to, again to where they're kind of in that middle of the pack in the SEC. But we don't really know either way. Um, but I'm always someone that likes to look at the positives of teams. And feel like, you know, look, they have these positives. If they come together, they can be pretty good. So I'd group Tennessee and Alabama uh, together right now because I see things that that make you really feel like that these teams uh, can be pretty good. But you also look at it and say, well, there can be some things um, that that you're not exactly sure about, uh, at least at this point. And now we get to uh, what is the uh, most crowded, I guess you could say, group of teams I have uh, going through this. And here's how I have them labeled um, when you look at them. I think all five of these teams, and yes, I have five teams in this next sort of group, uh, could be classified as sleeper teams. And and maybe, you know, there are going to be fan bases that feel like maybe these teams shouldn't be sleeper teams. Maybe they should be teams um, that are looked at uh, a lot higher than they are right now. And I'm willing to bet these five teams uh, you you don't really see uh, in any of these top 25s. There's one maybe that, that you could put in that group. Um, for, for some people, I've seen maybe in one or two. Uh, I don't know. I, w- I would probably not agree with that just because, uh, like I said, I wouldn't have them all in this group. Uh, if I did, I'd probably have them a little bit higher, at least right now. Let's go ahead and just jump in because <laughs> we've got a lot to cover uh, with five different teams in this particular group, and we'll tie it all together in terms of why you feel like these teams uh, could could be sleepers. I think it's just so kind of early in the process to where you, you don't really know what to expect from these five in particular. And let's go ahead and start uh, with uh, Georgia because Georgia's a team I've gone back and forth on. I started sort of putting together my notes on these teams. Uh, it's probably early May, um, and that was before we knew exactly what rosters were going to look like and all that. And with Georgia – at that point, I said, look, it's very easy to look at Georgia and say, if Nick Claxton comes back, I would probably put Georgia pretty high in the SEC um, because I think he's someone that's a unique talent uh, with his size, with his ability. Uh, he would have kind of been that missing piece for them because I do think it's now sort of a missing piece. Um, and that's what maybe sort of holds them back a little bit. But on the flip side, Anthony Edwards, he's a game changer. I mean, he he's one of the best players in the country for a reason. 
Uh, there are people that, that argue that, that he is the top player in this class, this 2019 class, better than James Wiseman. And, you, you know, I, I think there, there's reason and understandably so to see why there are people who think that because he is just a, a dynamic playmaker who will completely change the, the way Georgia plays. Um, and there are other people who, who look at it and feel like he could very well be the number one pick in the 2020 NBA draft. And so when you look at it from that lens, it's easy to see why, and it's very intriguing to look at Georgia and say this could really be a sleeper team uh, because if Edwards makes everyone better, if he's able to be the player that people think he's going to be, Georgia can be pretty good, and and I think the NCAA tournament is certainly the expectation for Georgia next season. Even though you know they finished where they finished last season, um, he's someone you, he's a one and done player. And when you have those types of guys, you feel like they're going to be good enough to help you get to the NCAA tournament. Now, what's going to really matter is what's around him. And that's where we we talk about fit and style of play. I think Tom Crean's getting the types of guys that are going to fit how he wants to play. Now, they're not going to play, um, you know, Alabama fast the way Nate Oates played at Buffalo, but they're going to play pretty fast, and they're going to get up and down the floor. You're going to have uh, Anthony Edwards being able to use his athleticism to get up and down the court. And they've got guys where you feel like there's some different pieces on this roster that can play multiple positions, and you've got sort of that athletic um, type of roster that, that's going to be able to do a lot of different things and are going to be kind of hard to guard um, when you look at it, I think, with Georgia in terms of just having that aspect of, of a playmaker like that. Um, they're going to be hard to guard just because he's going to be able to do different things that makes it really tough you know, on the defense all the way around. And so with Georgia, though, you know, Rayshon Hammonds is still there. And he's someone that, look, he's got a chance to be, um, I think, certainly, you know, an all-SEC type of player. I don't think there's any doubt about it, um, what we've seen from him. And so a top-10 class, you add that, you know, to Rayshon Hammonds returning, um, and you, you sort of look at it and feel like, you know, they're able to take care of the ball a little bit better. Um, defensively, you know, there are still maybe going to be some things they have to work through, but it's easy to see the potential with Georgia. And, you know, it's, it's a class that doesn't just have Anthony Edwards. You know, there's, there's multiple four-star players. There's, there's lots of different guys who Tom Crean's probably going to look at and say, we feel like there's a role for you to play this season. And if that's the case, um, you know, you tie all that together and feel like Georgia has that potential. But there's going to be a lot of youth there. there. We're going to say that with a lot of these teams. There's going to be youth on that roster, and there's going to be things that they have to work through. Um, and that's where that, that early non-conference play becomes so important because if you're able to get some quality wins, that, that obviously makes things a lot easier once you get into SEC play uh, because you have to build your overall resume. And you feel like Georgia... Um, I think leaning on Tom Crean's ability uh, to help them develop and to put them in the right spots, there, there's something about this team that, that I just like, and, and I feel like that there's sort of that chance there for them to be that breakout team that we talk about um, because 
they are going to be able to, to handle the ball a lot better, and they're not going to turn the ball over as much, uh, which has been something that, that's hurt them in recent years. And they haven't been you know, a great shooting team either in recent years. Um, and I feel like that's something that, that's going to need to continue to get better as well. But th- they've got an opportunity, and they've got a chance, I think, to make a lot of strides, and, and that's understandable when you have a, a talent like Edwards coming in um, that everything's going to go through. So next uh, in the group, and <laughs> I'm going to try to put these in order when I finish going through these, but we'll see how that goes because um, I know some of you guys, you want an order, but it's it's really hard. Uh, to kind of put an order, especially on these five particular teams. Next team uh, in this group I have is Mississippi State, and they're the one I was talking about where you could maybe look around and, and there may be some top 25s who feel like Mississippi State uh, could be in there. Um, I don't know that I would put them that high, but what I do know is that getting Reggie Perry back was was obviously it was huge, and he's someone that you know, you looked at all the, the NBA draft uh, sort of notes and all that different stuff at the combine and the, and the process. Uh, he was someone that really kind of saw his stock rise throughout the whole thing. And um, that there were some people that probably didn't think he was going to come back. And, and, you know, it got deeper into the process and felt like that he was sort of uh, impressing to the point to where maybe he doesn't come back. But but getting him back is huge because of what Mississippi State lost. And that's Quindary Weatherspoon, Lamar Peters. Um, Eric Coleman, uh, those are three guys that, that, you know, played a huge, huge part in their success and being able to get to the NCAA tournament last season. Uh, after those years of kind of building and building and building, uh, they finally got there. It didn't exactly turn out like they wanted when they lost to Liberty in the first round. But, um, you know, I think that that put the program at least back at a point to where you get over that hump, you're getting back to the NCAA tournament, and now you want to keep that going. Well, getting Reggie Perry back is going to help that process, but um, that there are still kind of some things where you look at it and say there are some guys that are going to have to prove themselves uh, this year, and I think that their bench is going to be really important because with what they have coming back, Reggie Perry, Nick Weatherspoon, as we know, is, is going to be someone that, that now, um, after kind of already you know showing what he can do, you know, I feel like now especially. He's going to, to have that opportunity to be that, that go-to guy um, that he's shown that he can be at times. But now, uh, knowing what the backcourt looks like with, with his brother, you know, Quindary gone and Lamar Peters, um, he's going to have the ball in his hand a lot. And, you know, Nick Weatherspoon and you get Tyson Carter, um, those guys uh, back in the mix. And you've got kind of that freshman class from last year that we really talked about. Now they're sophomores with, with Perry in there. Um, and they're going to take, you know, that next step forward in their development um, you have some new guys coming in as well. And so this is kind of an interesting roster to where th- there are some unknowns here, and I think that's why you kind of put Mississippi State uh, in this group to whereas maybe they kind of are a sleeper because last year they weren't. We went in we knew it was kind of that make-or-break make or year for them because th- they did have, have all that talent, and you felt like that, that they were going to be able to get to the tournament and really uh, maybe you know be a team that can win a couple games. It didn't happen like we said, but certainly – um, the, the nucleus is still pretty good, and, and being able to build around the guys that they're going to be able to build around, I think Ben Howland's going to be able to, to kind of have um, a, a different type of group here uh, in terms of how they approach things. Uh, they may play a little bit differently just because of their personnel um, is going to look a little, a little bit different. Um, like we said, with the guys they lost, that's going to tell us a lot about what Mississippi State's able to accomplish, um, but but there are still some question marks with them. That's why I put them in this group. 
uh, because I, I, you know, like I said, you, you do have to replace guys uh, that that were so important to that program's rise in recent years, uh, and now you can kind of see how how other guys fit uh, into that mix. So I would put Mississippi State. Uh, right here in this group uh, has a team that, that could be a sleeper team, but maybe a little bit behind um, the, those other six uh, that we talked about before this group. Um, the next one in this uh, particular sleeper group, I guess we're going to call it, uh, Missouri. And uh, I think I may have caught some people off guard when <laughs> I don't remember which top 25 it was. Or, no, I think it was Andy Katz. That was his uh, top 36. I put out a tweet on that. Um, he did his top 36 was a week or two ago. And I just kind of made some some random thoughts on it in terms of which teams I thought were maybe a little high, which teams I thought were maybe a little low. And I put at the end, and this was just sort of a random comment for me. I don't, I probably wouldn't put Missouri in the top 36 right now, but I said that I think a team that that people are sort of sleeping on nationally is Missouri, and I think it has a lot to do with the production that they bring back. I mean, among the SEC. They do bring back a lot of production, and they're going to be a team that, that has you know some of the the most production returning from their, their team a season ago um, of anyone in the conference. And so you get all that guys back. You get sort of that consistency, that rhythm um, from, from what you were able to do last year. And, yeah, they struggled. I mean, they won five SEC games last year. But I think now they're in a place where – you lose a lot of guys, and, you know, it's, yes, you do lose Jonte Porter, but he didn't play last year. Um, you lose Jordan Geist, who really w- was so fun to watch in terms of his development um, and w- since he was there, and, you know, he was an important piece of what they did. You lose Kevin Purrier, same sort of situation. But, you know, you bring back a lot of guys who who kind of made their own strides individually last season, um, and now you kind of move forward with that, and you also add uh, someone like Drew Smith to, to the mix, and you bring in uh, some young guys as well who are going to kind of maybe be in that same sort of role as those young guys were last year. Uh, I think the Drew Smith addition, uh, from a guard standpoint, is really going to be important for them uh, because you add him now with Mark Smith. You've got Jeremiah Tillman back. Um, you've got those those young guys we talked about, you know, from last year. You've got Torrance Watson. You've got Xavier Pinson, um, Javon Pickett's in there. You, you've got a lot of different sort of, I don't know. I, I think Missouri can be a team that kind of grinds out those wins this year in an SEC, like we said, that could sort of be in transition, where you they're able to take advantage of some of these teams because we know they're going to play defense. And we know defensively Missouri is going to be pretty good. And we know the type, when we talk about style, we know the type of style that Conzo Martin wants to play. They're going to grind out games. There may be times where it's not necessarily pretty, but they're going to, I think, kind of play defense in a way where they're going to make it hard on some teams. And Jeremiah Tillman, we've kind of seen his progression each year now, and he's been able to get better at some things. There's still stuff he's got to work on. Um, but you still feel like he's got a future at the NBA level. And so this year, what are the next steps that he's working on? What are the next things he's going to be able to do uh, to, to get even better? And that's what we're going to find out uh, with him. And that's going to, you know, that also is going to decide how good they can be. It's kind of the next evolution of his game. But Missouri is a team I would keep an eye on because they're not kind of that sexy team that you look at and feel like that they're just going to wow you on paper. But I think just the the approach that, that Consul Martin and his staff take 
do feel like they've got an opportunity to, to really be a team that surprises some people. Um, and, you know, whether that's finishing fifth, whether that's finishing, um, you know, seventh, I don't know how you would classify that. Everyone would have sort of a different um, definition of what they would feel like would be a surprise uh, with this particular Missouri team. But I think they can be uh, a team that it's kind of that thorn in the side of a lot of different um, you know, teams around the league this year. I feel like that they can make a lot of progress this season, um, and we'll see. We'll see how it unfolds, but there's something about them, at least right now in early June, that I really like, um, and we'll see kind of if my, my, my opinion is the same uh, once we get uh, later into the offseason and kind of have a better idea. Next up, Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss is uh, in this group as well. Um, I think what with Ole Miss – you lose Terrence Davis, and by the way, uh, Terrence Davis, he has really improved his draft stock. And you see from some of the NBA draft analysts out there that, that he's one of the uh, maybe biggest risers they've seen now, and his projections are, I mean, a potential first-round pick. I think some people feel like at this point maybe a late first-round type of guy, uh, early second round. We'll see, but uh, I, I've always kind of said, and, you know, he's he's been a favorite of mine, man. I enjoyed watching him play at Ole Miss. Um, you talk about someone who really worked hard to get better each year and just uh, his playmaking ability, a great kid, and I hope he's able uh, to really you know, find a really good spot for him, which if you go late in the first round in the NBA, you're probably going to find a team that, that's already having success, and that might be a good spot uh, for him to kind of plug into, be around some of those guys um, that, that are having you know, a lot of success and learning from those, you know, just kind of having mentors like that, man. He could. Uh, I'd love to see him. Uh, really find a good place there and have a chance to, to have some success in the NBA. But, you know, him going to the NBA is going to impact Ole Miss. Um, you know, but but the good news is, you know, Brian Tyree's back, Devontae Shuler's back. Uh, you've got Blake Henson, who I thought was really someone who just emerged onto the scene last year, one of the most impressive freshmen in the SEC. And it was funny, I remember back to having conversations with Kermit Davis in the offseason, he talked about, you know, Blake Henson was one of the most mature players he had ever coached just in terms of the way he came in, um, kind of how he, he goes about his business, and, and we saw that, I think, throughout the year, just his overall game, on, both on offense and on defense. Uh, he's someone that, I mean, he, he can really take another big step forward, I think, this year for the Rebels. And so you have a nucleus of those guys um where you know bringing that that type of you know key production back and I think it's easy to look at Ole Miss and be feel like you know yeah they're picked 14th last year they're not gonna be picked 14th this year um but getting back to the NCAA tournament I think is a realistic possibility uh for Kermit Davis there in year two and um you know when I did my first initial set of rankings and I I said earlier I started this back in early May and what I, I typically do each season is I will look at the rosters pretty quickly. I'll go through them, um, maybe just add in off the top of my head what I know about each program, um, kind of recall different things that you feel like uh, you've learned along the way uh, about different coaches and just about uh, the approach they're going to use going into the next season. And when I first did this in early May, I went, I wrote down a 1 through 14. And <laughs> I wish I would, I should probably reveal that to you guys because I think you'd have a lot of fun with it. Uh, but this was like that. Uh, you know, one of those deals where, like, if you're filling out an NCAA tournament bracket and you just you, you see the bracket, you just go through, you make the picks off the top of your head, and you don't really uh, think any more about it. It's just kind of you go with your gut. When I did that, I went 1 through 14 in the SEC. I had Ole Miss 6th. Um, and then, you know, you kind of look at it. 
Obviously, if I have them in the sleeper group beyond the, the other six that we, we talked about before we got to these particular teams, um, you know, I don't know exactly about putting them there right now, but I do think there's an opportunity for Ole Miss to, to be right back there in the NCAA tournament. Um, and if they're able to get the, the different guys that, that, you know, are now going to to play, you know, bigger roles and are going to have to do a lot more things than they have been, uh, because there is some inexperience on the roster. There are guys that, that are going to have to now be thrust into roles um, that they haven't played before. And um, I think that that's going to tell us a lot about whether Ole Miss is able to kind of stay on that same level um, or, or take a step back. And we don't really know the answer to that just yet. Uh, but we are going to see how some of these new pieces fit together. Uh, and that's that's what's probably going to be the, the driving force of Ole Miss in terms of if they're able to have that success. They have guys that are able to step up uh, around those three guys that are going to have a lot of the attention in Tyree, Shuler, and Henson. Uh, if they can get that, then I think Ole Miss gets back to the NCAA tournament and maybe is you know a little bit higher than, than maybe we look at them right now. I think they've got an opportunity to get there. And that's, that's to adding in the Kermit Davis aspect. Um, just, just knowing kind of, you know, I'm in Nashville, knowing the way he built up Middle Tennessee, uh, was able to see just kind of how – he was able to year after year, even with teams there that people felt like uh, maybe from a talent standpoint were going to take a step back. Maybe they didn't have the experience. He had a lot of unknowns, but yet he was still able to find that right mix. And that's where I think you look at this group. Yeah, there, there's some guys that are going to be coming in. There's a lot of newcomers, uh, but you, you still feel like that there's some things where he's going to be able to, to put them all together and make it work. And so that's why I look at Ole Miss and feel like if they're able to do that, um, that they can be back in the NCAA tournament. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So the next team in this group is Arkansas. It's a new it's a new era. We know that. Eric Musselman's there now. Um, he is going to do things that, you know, are different from, from what Arkansas's done here in the past. And um, he's going to try to sort of bring back that tradition that, that they had and get them back to winning NCAA tournament games on a year-in and year-out basis because that's what the fan base wants. Uh, yes, Mike Anderson had success there, wrote a long story about it. You know, he did. He was able to have success there. But the fans kind of remember that run in the 90s where they were winning, you know, a national championship. They were able to be right up there as a, at the top tier in the SEC. And we've seen that happen over the years, too. Um, they've still been able to be there. But they want to do that year in and year out. And now you bring in Eric Musselman, who had a lot of success at Nevada, uh, has all the, the professional success. He's been in the NBA um, he's been in the G League. He, he's coached at so many different levels. And he's already kind of using the system that we've all kind of talked about in recent years. He's using the transfer system to his advantage. And he's already been able to bring in guys, I think, that are going to help them right away. Um, you know, Jimmy Witt's someone that, that really has kind of been the most intriguing because he did start his career at Arkansas. And now he's back, coming back you know, from SMU, and he's just another guard that they add to the mix in what is going to be probably one of the most exciting backcourts in the SEC, knowing what they're going to bring back. And the two guys people are going to really um, focus on is Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones because they kind of became uh, what I think a lot of people were hoping they were going to be uh, going into the season. We talk about some of these other teams we've said with so many newcomers. Well, Arkansas had a ton of newcomers last year, and we didn't know exactly who was going to be the ones uh, that emerged into those playmakers. And that's where I think for Arkansas, you can build off of those guards. And if you can do that, 
you know, you could probably be pretty good. And it's just, a, you know, in replacing Daniel Gafford, too, that's something that, look, you're not going to replace uh, what Daniel Gafford brought to the table. There's just not anyone on the roster that's going to be able to, to be Daniel Gafford. But you've returned so much sort of production, like we said, from the guard standpoint, especially uh, guys who had the ball in their hands all the time. And now they're back, and you add different pieces to the mix, and you add a new coaching staff. I think there's just something sort of a, about this Arkansas team that, that I, as I've settled them more, uh, like I said, over the past month or so, kind of knowing how things are going to look on paper, there are more and more things I like about this team. Um, I think it just goes back to what we say in a lot of these different scenarios when a new coach comes in. How quickly are the styles and chemistry going to mesh together? And if that can happen pretty quickly, if the transfers that he's brought in, not just Jimmy Witt, Isaiah Moss, uh, Gene Tosilla, if all these different guys can, can kind of mesh together and fit in with, with Mason Jones, with Isaiah Joe, with Jalen Harris, Desi Seals, um, all those types of guys, Arkansas could be pretty good. And so I would kind of put them in this group because, yeah, you feel like that there, there could be, you know, some, some, some inconsistencies, especially early on in the season, but – I think knowing Musselman's coaching style and sort of the way they're going to approach things, I wouldn't be surprised if they are that team we're talking about. You know, maybe going into the season, I don't know, their picks, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, who knows? And, you know, as I always say, don't forget where the preseason polls. We've seen that over the years now. Uh, look at the teams that, that have just kind of surpassed the expectations. It seems like every year there's a team that, if you look at the SEC preseason media poll, if you see someone picked 11 through 14th, you have a pretty good feeling that they're probably going to finish second or third. Um, and that's just kind of been the running joke, but but it's kind of proven to be true. And so I, I could see Arkansas picked all over the place, but I feel like that the, there's still a team where knowing Musselman style, I think they have a chance uh, to make some strides in year one because they do have that backcourt in place. Uh, you can see Arkansas as an instantly tournament team next year. So that's why I would put them in this big group of teams uh, where, yes, they have unknowns, but you also look at the bright side and say, well, if this part comes together, uh, they got a chance to be to be good. And I think you, you kind of say that about Arkansas uh, going into next season. So, all right, that gets us through those tiers. And, yes, there are three teams left, and we're going to put all three of those teams into the same tier. I will say this about these three teams. I am not saying that I think these are going to be the number 12 through number 14 teams in the SEC. That's why I said from the very beginning, these are not your traditional power rankings. This is kind of the different tiers I would put these teams in right now in terms of what we know and maybe what we don't know. And I would put these three teams, which you figured out by this point, South Carolina, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt, in this particular tier – because I think there's a lot of things we don't know, and and more so than the other teams we talked about. That doesn't mean that these teams can't finish, you know, in the top half of the SEC, or they can't be uh, teams that are right there in that mix. So let's start with South Carolina. Uh, they get AJ Lawson back. That's huge. And getting Justin Mania back from injury is also going to help. He was someone uh, we talked about going into last season. You feel like Justin Manaya was kind of that X factor for them um, in terms of, you know, the way he played his freshman season. But now the problem is that Chris Silva's not there. And I think that is a huge part of this whole thing 
to where, look, Chris Silva, I mean, he got in foul trouble. And there were times where Frank Martin was frustrated with him uh, because, you know, maybe he did. He fouled too much. And maybe there were times that, that he didn't do things he needed to do. But he had a lot of pressure on him, too. And, you know, he was someone that was expected to deliver on offense and on defense, and he had to if South Carolina was going to win games. He had to do it, you know, as many minutes as he possibly could because they needed him, and they they had to run so many different things through him. But you also saw South Carolina get to a point to where, look, if he did get in foul trouble, they were able to play through that, and then they were able to find success with these other guys, specifically A.J. Lawson, um, who is is kind of that player that you wouldn't be surprised to see him playing in the NBA because he does have uh, kind of that versatile skill set to where he's going to have that opportunity, I think, uh, when he gets to that point. But this is also a team that, that struggled offensively in recent years, and even with Silva and even with uh, you know some of the other guys they've had, they have not been able to find a level of offensive consistency that's been sort of good enough to, to get over kind of that hump at times. And, and yes, it's it's so weird to look back at South Carolina's season last year. Non-conference, they were not very good. But then they finished fourth in the SEC. And, you know, it's kind of that thing where they did it kind of just sort of flying under the radar where you looked up, you went to the conference tournament and said, South Carolina's the fourth team in this conference. Um, and it was kind of surprising to a lot of people. But that speaks to what Frank Martin's able to accomplish and so even without Chris Silva, it's a deal where when you when you discount the possibilities for Frank Martin, he usually comes back to bite you. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be this team or not. And, and I do have more questions about South Carolina than I do some of these other teams just because you are losing uh, a defensive presence like Silva and someone who a lot of different things ran through. Um, but are, are they able to offensively have that success that, that they need to be able to, um, you know, be good enough for some of these other teams. Because defensively, you also wonder, are they going to take a step back? Because they don't have Silva. And look, I mean, we're talking about one of the best defensive players in the SEC over the past several years. And so you, you take him out of the fold, th- there's some questions, especially, I think, front court defense, you know, guarding in the paint. Are, there are some things that, that maybe they're going to have to address that they haven't had to address in recent years. And that's why I would put South Carolina in this particular group because I just I think there's some things that, that we gotta find out about some of the guys who are gonna step into these other roles before we know exactly where we can put South Carolina. But getting Lawson back is a huge boost. And um again, me just simply discounting what Frank Martin's team could do. Uh, it's probably going to mean really good things for South Carolina. And Gamecock fans, they know that at this point. Um, I say that every year. Anytime we pick against South Carolina uh, and feel like they're going to finish lower than they do, just you should be applauding me and applauding the SEC media uh, and anyone else who feels like South Carolina is going to be near the bottom of the SEC because it usually works out well <laughs> for the Gamecocks. So, um, but right now, that, this is where I would kind of put them in this group because I, there's just a, a lot of unknowns. Um, not just on offense. I think now they have those unknowns on defense without Silva, uh, and that's where we're kind of going to wait and see, I think, on South Carolina. So the other team uh, next up, we've got two other teams to talk about, Texas A&M. Buzz Williams takes over. I don't think there's any doubt. One of the best hires in college basketball this offseason in terms of just looking at overall resumes because Buzz Williams has the resume, um, and, you know, he just he adds to, to the coaching depth in the SEC. And, 
Um, it was no secret. It was the worst kept secret in college basketball that he was going to be the next coach at Texas A&M. And now um, he's got some work to do, though, um, early on. And I think getting Savion Flag back is going to help that work a little bit. Um, you know, and, and, and most people expect him to come back. I don't think it's a huge surprise. But he's someone they can build around. Um, and and they, I thought they did make some progress down the stretch last season. There were some times early on where Texas A&M, quite frankly, just was not good at all. Um, but I did think they made progress last season, and they did some things um, that, you know, you feel like at least that there's, and it's not, you know, maybe momentum in the traditional sense, but I think from a player standpoint, there were some guys that were able to, to find some momentum. Josh Nebo, um, someone like that, you know, TJ Starks, is he going to kind of be able to get back to, to that form uh, that this he's, you know, needed to play? And he's someone that I think we looked at his freshman season, felt like he's really got a lot of potential. But there were some things last year uh, where he's got to get his shot better. He's got to do some things like that. Um, so, so there's different guys that, that Buzz Williams – uh, is going to be able to work with here, and certainly he's brought in you know a lot of new guys too. He, I think we we laughed earlier. I mean, he signed four recruits on the same day uh, at one point this off season, and and he's got different guys he's going to bring in there. Um, but it could be kind of that year where they're kind of retooling some things. They're going through a little bit of a transition, um, just because you, you know it, it's I don't know you know it's just one of those deals where th- they weren't great last year. And, you know, they lose a guy like Christian Mekawulu. Um, and Admon Gildery wasn't. I mean, he didn't play last year, as we know. But, uh, if you know, if he was on this roster, maybe that makes things a little bit different. But now he's at Gonzaga. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I think Texas A&M's a team that, that we just – we it's hard to get a good feel on right now because you have a new coaching staff. You've got a roster uh, where you don't really know how the newcomers are going to fit into the mix. Um, and you don't exactly know if they have the depth uh, overall, I think, from just a bench standpoint, because they're, they're, their starting five could be okay. Um, that They could have a, a starting five that they feel pretty good about with some of these guys we mentioned, but uh, depth, and that could be something we look at with this team and try to figure that out uh, before we exactly know where to place Texas A&M. So I would put them here in this group of three just because um, the, these are the three teams that, that I have the biggest questions about because I think they – they're the three teams, to me at least, that, that have the most unknowns in terms of maybe what the, their rotation is going to look like uh, next season. So, all right, let's wrap it up. Uh, yes, this has probably been the longest podcast uh, I've done solo. Uh, hopefully some of you guys have enjoyed it. You haven't got tired of hearing my voice. Uh, maybe you haven't if you're still listening at this point, so I appreciate it. But we wrap up with Vanderbilt, um, and it's, uh, it's a situation where when we talk about a new era, it's a new era for Vanderbilt basketball um, because Bryce True was fired this offseason after they went winless in the SEC. We've been through that. We talked about that, um, not just on the podcast, but on the Periscopes as well, that um, I thought it was a move that, that probably had to be made um, in terms of just kind of looking at how things unfolded. It wasn't just the record itself. Um, it was how they went winless in the SEC. And, it was something where you had a new AD too, and you just felt like it was sort of that that situation where something was going to to be changed, and that's what happened. Uh, and Malcolm Turner brought in Jerry Stackhouse. It was not a hire that a lot of people expected, but yet I've been impressed with, with what Jerry Stackhouse has done in terms of his approach, the staff that he's built, how they've done recruiting wise. Um, 
I think it's one of those deals where you feel pretty good, I think, about the direction of Vanderbilt basketball. Now, the problem is this season, is that direction going to be completely, you know, in the way that they want it to be? Probably not, because there are going to be some things that they're going to have to work to, not just from a roster standpoint, but I think from a staff standpoint too, because you do uh, have a unique situation here where you have a guy who's coming into college, first time he's coached in college, but I think it's a little different because Jerry Stackhouse did coach in the G League. You're not talking about just bringing some guy in um, that that maybe you know has zero experience whatsoever coaching-wise, and now you're just throwing him into the mix. He, he has coaching experience, and that's why you make this hire. Uh, people can talk about the connections and stuff, Malcolm Turner and all that, but I think Jerry Stackhouse is someone that had a really good reputation in the G League, and now you know he comes from the Grizzlies as an assistant into this role. Player development is going to be huge. That's something he's always had a, a really kind of handle on. And you talk to guys who have been around him, that's one of the things they've always talked about is kind of his leadership, the player development aspect. Those are going to be really important here this season because you're you're taking over a team that had one of the worst SEC seasons in history. And so you, you've got to build them back up mentally too. Um, and there, there's a decent nucleus they do have returning, and it's probably going to all kind of build around Saban Lee and Aaron Neesmith. Um, those are the two guys that, that I think people are going to look at that you feel like maybe they're able to build around those guys, bring in the newcomers that they have. Um, you know, Simi too staying in the draft I don't think was a big surprise for anyone. I, I think it's something where we have no idea what to expect from Vanderbilt. That could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. Um, but it's not a it's not a quick fix. That they're going to to need probably you know a year or two to completely put in what they want to put in, um, and so I think it's just natural to kind of look at Vanderbilt and feel like they they are the team with the biggest unknowns because they are the team that's coming off of uh, the type of season that they had, and you don't know how quickly things are going to turn around um, because you have a brand new staff. Putting Vanderbilt here is probably not something that, that shocks anyone because. We just don't really know what to expect. Um, but I do like the approach Jerry Stackhouse has taken thus far. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how things unfold as they go into their first season because from a roster standpoint, they've still got some some pieces to mix and match uh, along the way. Um, but I do like what they've done, and uh, we'll see kind of how, how they approach things from a stylistic standpoint, how they exactly want to play on both sides of the court. That'll tell us a lot more. Uh, about the outlook for the Commodores program here uh, over the next several years. So um, there you go. That just kind of gives you a better idea uh, of where I kind of have everyone in the mix right now. Like I said earlier, I just it's really hard to kind of say, okay, I'm going to put that team eighth and that team ninth because I feel so much better about that number eighteen than I do with number nineteen. I just some of these teams, you just there's not much that separates them on paper, and so that's how I would kind of break it down. Uh, in terms of where they're at, as always, um, people will move up. People will move down uh, in my particular rankings as the offseason goes along. And so I will not kind of know my particular, you know, everyone has to have preseason projections. Everyone has to have uh, their preseason power rankings. I probably won't know mine until early October, mid-October, something like that. I just... You have to wait. You get closer to, to the season. Once you see some practices, you, you kind of get into that rhythm, have a much better feel on what teams are going to look like. Uh, you talk to people around the programs. You talk to coaches, and you kind of get a better picture um, of what they're thinking going into the season. So that will tell us a lot more uh, going in, but that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea 
of, of where things stand for some of these teams, and everyone will have different opinions. As always, I welcome them. Um, I'd love to know what you think about some of these teams. So uh, we'll definitely talk more about that. But be sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, just go over to Apple Podcasts, search for Southeast Hoops. That way you get this uh, these episodes delivered to you uh, when they go up. And I think at this point, I told you guys we go throughout the offseason, my plan at least, and this may, you know, as you guys know, sometimes I get into writing mode, and especially this year, um, I've got a ton of writing from a magazine standpoint uh, which is a good thing, but I've got a lot more this year than I've had in recent years, and so there just may be some weeks where I don't do the podcast. But at least right now, my plan is to try to do one podcast a week, a longer sort of episode, kind of like this one, um, to where you know it kind of gives you guys enough to get you through uh, an entire week. And we'll still do the Periscopes as well, uh, but just with the amount of writing I have now for, for the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, which I'm going to continue to plug, um, first year doing that, but I have several different conferences to do. Um, the SEC is not one of them, but but several mid-major conferences, so lots of writing on that. Always a great resource. I've talked about that in the past. Uh, the Blue Ribbon Yearbook is just tremendous. If you're a college basketball fan, if you've never read it, find it, look it up. You're going to want it. Um, it's just it's unlike anything else, just the, the amount of depth in there. Chris Dorch just does a wonderful job, and uh, be sure you, you find that this year. Also doing... Uh, the Athlon Sports College Basketball Preview Magazine this year. Uh, I've done the Auburn Preview uh, the past few years since I've been doing that, but this year I'm going to do the Tennessee Preview, so that will be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Just a lot of writing, so the podcast, as always, um, during the summer just may kind of be hit or miss sometimes, but I'm going to try to get you guys a weekly podcast. Uh, We'll have some guests on too, as always, and if we get some coach interviews along the way, uh, which that is the plan. We've done that every off season. Uh, we'll throw those in as well uh, here and talk to some of these coaches around the SEC to kind of give you a better idea of how everything's going to look uh, going into next season. But uh, also be sure to head over to southeasthoops.com. That's where you find all the written stuff, mostly new stuff, but we also have some features going up over there um, as well uh, with recruiting and all that type of stuff here. But you can find all that at southeasthoops.com. One more quick plug. Uh, I am still working on something very special for you guys. I plugged it on Twitter. I kind of gave you a tease, uh, but we're still a few months away. So you won't get more details on it for a few more months, but just know that that I am working very hard on it. And I think it's something that hopefully some of you guys will appreciate uh, because I I know it's never been done before, SEC basketball-wise. I know there are other people around the country that have done it, uh, maybe for different teams, different conferences, that kind of thing. But... I'm pretty sure it hasn't been done from an SEC basketball standpoint. I'd be willing to bet it hasn't. And so I'm really looking forward to putting it together for you guys. Uh, it, it should be something that, that you're really going to enjoy going into next season. Um, so more details on that coming in a few months, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that uh, when we get to it. So uh, be sure to subscribe everywhere. Follow me on Twitter at the Blank Level. Let me know what you think about some of these teams going into next season, how you'd rank them. Uh, throw them at me. Always love the discussion. And remember... It's okay to disagree. We're going to disagree some, but uh, we're talking about SEC basketball in June. Folks, that's a good thing, and that's what we're going to try to keep doing uh, here as we go throughout the offseason. So uh, thanks, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.